The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode 22, brought to you by the SB Nation NFL Show. I am your host, Michael Kist, and today we're doing things a little bit different. It's Super Bowl week, and our coverage here has been hypercharged with three daily shows, big-time guests, and the best analysis you'll find anywhere. Continuing on that trend, normally I'd have Kyle Posey right here with me, but we decided to split up for this one and attack it from a couple different angles. First up... You are going to hear Kyle talking with Indianapolis Colts running back Naeem Hines, who is a personal favorite of mine going back to his college days. After that, I'm going to have an in-depth discussion with Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and the Draft Network. Solak is one of the smartest X and O guys that I know. We take a deep dive into the Steve Spagnolo defense for the Chiefs, ponder what Bucks defensive coordinator Todd Bowles might do on his side of things, and we even get into some discussion about what new Philadelphia Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni will bring to the table in his new role with his new team. All of that's coming up in a moment. A quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review. We're almost at 100 five-star reviews, and if you help us get there, it would be greatly appreciated. So please take the two minutes to do that if you can find it in your heart to do us a solid. But enough of that. Let's officially kick off the show with Kyle Posey talking with Colts running back Naeem Hines. Welcome to the SB Nation NFL show. We have a special guest today. I am being joined by Indianapolis Colts running back Naheem Hines. He's here to discuss his new partnership with the Muscular Dystrophy Association and why it's important to him personally to raise awareness and funds for the essential voluntary health organization committed to funding research and care for people nationwide living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and over 43 neuromuscular diseases. Naheem, how are you doing? I'm great, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, uh, this is obviously, you know, this is very close to you. This is something that means a lot to you. Can you kind of tell us why and what why this is, why this means so much to you just in general? Uh, muscular dystrophy is just important to me just because uh it's just a, a unfortunately just a genetic uh, genetic uh, disorder that just runs through my family, and uh, my mom has it. My uh, my mother's mother actually died from it in 2004, and my mom's brother has it. And uh, from what I could tell, every generation has. I had a great great grandpa who had it, so uh, it's been near and dear to my heart. And uh, I just started thinking about ways, you know, as I got through college and uh, the NFL, just ways just you know supporting and representing. That's why I wear the green mouthpiece, and uh, just doing everything I can. That's just it's near and dear when you're watching your mom. Uh, and I'm like, when I was, I just remember being nine years old and watching my mom, like, roll with me and play with me. And, you know, when I get to high school, it's just like struggling to get upstairs. It's really hard. But uh, 
you know, it's something that gives you uh, it gives you hope. To, you know, look for the research and you know be able to use my platform to do something with it. That's a great point. And first of all, sorry to hear that. I imagine as a person, it makes you stronger and it helps you deal with what you're going to go through later on in life. Uh, how do you feel like that's helped you become just a better human being? You never know. Uh, honestly, just help me. You know, just my perspective and things. Uh, you don't know what people are going through. Like honestly, my mom never really told me until like I already knew. It's just throughout that time, you got to watch your mom be strong for your mom. And it's really, it's really just as a person I've grown just to, you know, love people while they're here. You know, like my mom always told me, give, give her roses while, while she's still breathing. And uh, it teaches you that life is short. Uh, there's certain types of uh, muscular dystrophy that kids are, their life expectancy is the teens. So honestly, just the fact that my mom is about to turn 56 next month is amazing. And I've just appreciated that and not looked at it much so as a curse, but just a blessing, you know, used to, you know, uplift other people. Absolutely. No, that's a great point. Have you ever been a spokesperson for any other organization? Uh, no, I haven't. I've been a, I've done a lot of like, I wasn't a spokesman, but I've done a, some of it for Pop Warner football back in Raleigh where I used to speak in front of like 5,000 kids, but uh, nothing like, uh, nothing to this level. So I'm honestly just appreciative of the NBA. What's the, uh, what's the biggest crowd you've spoken in front of before? 5,000 kids. Yeah. <laughs> and it was in a convention center and I was, I was actually kind of nervous, but, uh, I'm a lot more nervous for these interviews. I'm representing a lot of people. And, uh, you know, together we're fighting muscularity. And uh, hopefully everybody who's watching this is wearing the green and stuff. So I'm trying to represent everybody here, too. We will make sure that we push that message out. I'm rocking green. Did not know that, but uh, <laughs> glad to hear. So what people do know you for is your athletic abilities. And most people know that, you know, you converted from running back to wide receiver. Uh, how or sorry, wide receiver to running back. How difficult was that for you? Oh, uh, truthfully, it wasn't that. It wasn't that difficult. I played running back my entire life. Uh, and even in college, uh, I had a, I ran for a lot of yards. And I, I ran in the I formation in college. So, I mean, in high school. So, uh, going to college, I really well, – the coaches told me, even recruiting me, that uh, we were, they were going to try to do whatever they needed to get me on the field. So, as soon as they asked me to move receiver, it was just a way for me to uh, start as a true freshman and uh, hopefully get the ball in my hands. So, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. It's an opportunity to play right I don't know if you know this, but in the draft community, every running back who can catch and run routes is now compared to Naheem Hines. And that's probably going to be the case for a while. Do you ever see any of these comps? And if you do, is your reaction like, no, nah, that's not me. He can't do what I can do. Uh, you know, first off, uh, that's an honor to hear that, you know, because, uh, you know, my comps for Woodhead and Sproles and yeah. our position is a dying. But, you know, we got, we got to bring some guys around like me to do it. And uh, I've actually seen a uh, I've actually seen uh, one guy who's real popular. He's a. Uh, He's been blowing up my social media the past week. Fenton, uh, I think, from uh, UCLA. UCLA. Yeah, that's I, the I saw him. He ran a really good uh, corner route. So I've seen the comps. And truthfully with me, there's no comparison. Uh, if I'm better than them, it's just, uh, you know, us little guys trying to, you know, the little versatile guys who got the skill, a crazy skill set just trying to represent. And I, I hope that I hope he does a great job. I hope he represents for the little guys like me and my predecessors, truthfully. You said the running back position is dying. So obviously you're aware of the talk. Running backs don't matter. And you see how that translates to, you know, the free agent contracts that are being handed out. What, like, how does that make you feel just knowing that that's your position? How, what's the thought process or just from the running backs in the NFL? Well, truthfully, even when I was saying that, I was saying that um, in kind of two ways, just how the running back position is uh, being valued. And it's truly like guys like me, there's not many guys like, myself about like running backs that can you know catch on the backfield or skilled enough to kick and punt return and we're dying in that way too it's just it's hard to find it's a it's a certain niche that you know that it has it requires certain specifics and I think uh that's really hard too and then even the running back community how uh, you've seen how contracts have went 
it's really tough. But, you know, running the ball and even running back by committee, we're still a very, very viable position, you know, in pass protection. And also, too, you can't throw every down. You get predictable. So, right. hopefully, you know, running backs like, you know, Derrick Henry, he's running for 2,000 yards, which we haven't seen in a while. And McCaffrey's, the Camaras get love. And even those big bruises who still don't catch up the back. Running backs are a central position. Absolutely. So I, I want to bounce around here back and forth from football to just randomness. What's your favorite song you're listening to right now? Did you have a song that you had to listen to pregame? I had a couple of songs. Out of My Business by Rod Wave. I love Polo G, so I, was, I used to listen to ah. Blood, Sweat, and Tears a lot. And it, his album, Be Something. So I listen to out, out, of, uh, out of My Business and Be Something every game. I always uh, tell myself every week I had to be something this week. That's good. I mean, just get your mind right. I like that. All right. <laughs> uh, back to football. Favorite route as a running back or favorite run play? Favorite route's probably a go route against a linebacker. I think I, yeah. I can win that every time. Uh, can imagine why. Anything, yeah, great matchup. That or a slant. I, I like those. Uh, favorite run play? In our offense, gap scheme. I don't care what gap scheme play it is. Any play where uh, Quinn Nelson or Mark Lewinsky pull, I like. Nice. I like that. Yeah, I mean, get Quinn Nelson on the move and good things happen. Uh, speaking of Nelson, do you remember the first time he did something that made your jaw drop? Uh, yes. In college, when we played against him at Notre Dame, he, uh, Josh Adams, actually, I know you remember Josh Adams was running back in oh, yeah. Philly. He was there and uh, he ran for 200 yards against our defensive line. And we had a really good defensive line. I remember watching him pancake one of our, our great players. And that was the first time I really seen and heard about him, truthfully. And you just knew from there, like, this is the guy, like, he's going to be a player. Well, yeah, well, our deep, our run defense is great and one of the best in the country. We have four defensive linemen get drafted and he ran for 220 yards. So just watching him and, uh, Mark McGlitchie, both of them on the same side. I think that was probably the craziest thing in college I've ever seen. So I, I cover the 49ers for a living. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Mike McGlinchey is a bad man mm-hmm. as a run blocker, for sure. Um, did you see the news that EA Sports is bringing back NCAA? I actually did. What, I actually did. What team did you use coming up? And did you win national championships with obscure teams like San Jose State? Oh, I didn't do that. I used the... Uh, in 2014, it was NCAA 14, so I wasn't even in, in college. Uh, I used to use uh, Clemson and Oregon. And TCU, because TCU had listen to me. I used to use those fast. Yeah, players. yeah, listen to me. I was fly. Uh, I was really interested. I score a lot of points. I, <laughs> I, I would lose some games, but I, I would score 50. But I, I won a lot more than I lost. On Are you going to be a gamer again if that comes up? Oh, I'm already a gamer. <laughs> okay. I, I don't play sports games like that. I, I play a lot of shooting. I play a Call of Duty and Apex Legends, but uh, – I, I always have my Madden. I stopped playing 2K. I retired from that. I was sick of getting greens and missing, so uh, haven't been in the park for three years. But uh, I've, I've been I've loved gaming. So I want to ask you a couple more questions before you get out of here. So it's Black History Month, and Eric being to me, he's gone through another cycle without being hired. And I'm sure the players are aware of this, just about the lack of black coaches in the NFL in general. Uh, the pipeline's getting stronger, but we have a long way to go. Is there a quick fix to this? No, it just it just takes time. Uh, you know, even uh, – we actually had an offensive coordinator who's black get promoted as offensive coordinator. He's yeah. one of three. So there was two. So we just got to look at it in small steps. Just like how, honestly, it's just how we look at muscular history. It's, it's kind of crazy. But uh, through all the research, it's small steps. You're not going to win. We're not going to win one day. You got to, you know, day by day. So we could have four black coordinators next year. Maybe. And maybe being and me becomes a head coach. Hopefully he does. He's a great coach. And the same thing we're doing muscular history. Just fighting and fighting together and going day by day. True. Yeah, it's, it's all about exposure. And as long as these guys have an opportunity to get their names out there, I feel like we'll, we'll get there eventually. But 
man, it's, it's just taken a long, long time. And speaking of coaches, uh, Nick Sirianni, your guy, he was hired by the Eagles head coach and he got killed for his initial pressure, but he, it just looked like a guy that was super nervous. Uh, what, what can Eagles fans expect from uh, Sirianni? Oh yeah. I didn't really see much of the press. I heard it, but I know how Nick is. Uh, Nick, sometimes he may not even be nervous. He just sometimes fumbles where he's excited. He, and that's what he's passionate about too. They're going to get a lot of passion from him, a great coach. And uh, he's going to develop their players. I can personally say he developed me uh, offensively, helping me with the route game. So, uh, when I was watching those routes of Philip Rivers and Darren Sproles and, uh, you know, Danny Woodhead, Nick was the one coaching me up on those routes. So uh, nice. they get a running back like uh, like myself or any of the receivers, their route discipline is going to be great. The offense, I expect the offense to be great, great mind. And uh, you're going to get an even better person. I can promise you that. Who is the most def- Who is the most impressive defensive player that you've ever faced in the NFL? Khalil Mack. Easy. Good. <laughs> Clowney, Javion Clowney had a really good game against us too, but Khalil Mack and uh, – Khalil Mack and truly that whole defensive line, like it, like Khalil Mack is a great player, but those other guys with him, like uh, Hicks and some of those other guys on that line, they don't get as much credit as they should. I will say that because that he was he was a monster play, but that whole game that was that was probably the hardest game I played in this year. Truthfully, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. So Ben, should we do the old school Bleeding Green Nation intro to this? What do you think? Is it allowed? Yeah, no. I'm, Is it legally? I'm the boss here. <laughs> I, I run this show. I can say what I want. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak show. This is episode, I don't know, we've done about a thousand of them together. Brought to you by the fine folk at the SB Nation NFL show. I'm your host, Michael Kiss. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kiss NFL. It's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game. Mr. Tenure Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin. Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K, Ben. How you doing, brother? Man, everything is delicious, Mike. <laughs> it's nice to be back in the seat. It's nice to be running it back, which I don't know, like, it's been, what, a month? Yeah. It's pretty pitiful. If, like, I th- I'm like, oh, no, we have to record a podcast again. It's been so long. But it is nice. And it's it's probably one of our first podcasts in which we're supposed to be talking about non-Eagles things. Usually, we're supposed to be talking about Eagles things, and then sometimes... We end up getting a little bit off topic, but this time it's like actually open for discussion. We get to expand our portfolio to 31 other teams, which, you know, we definitely pay a lot of attention to and can cover very well. So Nick Sirianni's press conference. <laughs> Let's, mm. No, Let, well, right, right, we are actually going to talk about Nick Sirianni later in the show because we did have Naeem Hines. He talked with Kyle Posey and they're going to get into some of that as well. I think it's really interesting what Hines had to say about Sirianni. So that's Ben's specialty. If you couldn't tell by now, me and Ben have worked together for a long time, Bleeding Green Nation, other Eagles stuff and whatnot. So we are going to have to uh, chop shop about some Eagles. But the big game, the big focus for this week is not Carson Wentz and and, and the Eagles. It's uh, a couple teams that are playing some really good ball. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Arians, you know, Big Red. Ben, when you look at this, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here is because here on the Palpably Unfair podcast, we like to get really, really nerdy into scheme stuff. And it just so happens that you're a big nerd. No offense. And I saw one of your hey! I saw yeah, one of your sir. breakdowns on uh, on Twitter. You were breaking down Steve Spagnolo's defense and some of their coverages and whatnot. And for Spags, I mean, not only this is this is this is a rematch with Tom Brady, which is an interesting storyline. I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he's doing with this defensive unit in the playoffs. 17 points allowed against the Browns, 24 against the Bills. Those have to be seen as successes. And really, excluding the Week 17 game against the Chargers, where they pulled the starters, 
not allowing 30 points or more since week 11 in a win over the Raiders, which, I mean, the Raiders gave them trouble in both games. Spags has been hot. So when you look at his defense, it's pretty complex, right? What Spagnolo does is awesome because there is a very easy path on the NFL defensive coordinator trail, which says, hey, get some really good talent, put them in really easy and simple situations and say, hey, go be more talented than the other guys, which worked for a while. And then offenses were like, what if we put 17,000 absurd athletes at wide receiver and then run ridiculous air raid concepts, which just are basically like, hey, go 10 yards down the field, turn around and then just find some space and I'll throw it to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that idea of air raid passing offenses has has pervaded the NFL, you know, the NFL philosophy, which was West Coast, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, very precise, eight yards, five steps, turn around, three steps, hitch. Like now it's it's. Passing offenses are so much more free. They're so much more outside of structure. So you can't just say, oh, well, let's get good front four, and we're going to run cover three behind it, and we're going to get pressure with four, and we're going to rally, and we're going to tackle. It's just, it sounds awesome. And then you're covering Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. It's not real. You know I mean? the, the, it is insufficient for that problem. And that's why Spagnolo is really awesome and really exciting. And he's had such a volatile career and he's fallen he's been in favor and then fallen out of favor in large part because his defense is also volatile but in instances like this one where he's here in in a second super bowl now two straight years spagnola has been the defense coordinator of the chiefs and they've gotten to the super bowl has been because he does a great job maximizing lesser talent in that secondary think about trivarius ward as an undrafted free agent with with the the Cowboys, who the, the Chiefs traded for to start a corner. Think about Bashad Breeland and Rashad Fenton filling out the rest of their corner room. They've got good safeties in Teron Matthew and Juan Thornhill, guys who can cover. So they use them in match coverages to get them into concepts, to get them robbing down on intermediate routes that, that, that teams want to hit behind their linebackers who aren't great cover players. Speaking of those linebackers, they're able to protect those guys from having to chase slot receivers out into the field, from having to tackle running backs in space. And so... When you play Spagnola, who's one of the heaviest blitzers in the league and runs a, a wide variety of coverages using multiple safeties on the field, Juan Thornhill, Tyron Matthew, and Daniel Sorensen, Spags builds chaos. Mm. He welcomes craziness. He spins safeties all over the field. And sometimes you're going to spin safeties and you're going to be unlucky and you're going to be spinning them away from a screen and you're going to give up 20 yards on the screen. That's going to suck. But when you're able to get great coverage reps out of a very cheap secondary it would it allows you to get those stops it allows you to get those sacks it allows you to get those punts and then you turn the ball over to this offense and you trust this offense to be able to score more than the 24 27 points that you're going to give up because your your defense just doesn't really have that much star talent right so spagnolo's approach to coordinating defense especially in a situation where just the chiefs haven't spent that much money on defense let's be honest yeah is is critical. It's critical to how they've succeeded and gotten to this point in back-to-back season. Yeah, they need to be able to get to that point where the defense that they don't spend a whole lot on so they can spend a whole lot on offense and score a bunch of points. And you just need your defense to be survivable, right? right? Just just be average. Only allow 24 points. That's totally and fine. And we know, right, we know, you know, uh, with, with analysis, we know it with – with, with tracking that a sack like ends a drive yep. like just one and like it's like 
at the opponent's 20, at your 20, whatever it is, like you get a sack, you're killing that down in distance. It's very hard to bring that back. So Spagnuolo knows, listen, like I'm going to give up big plays. I'm going to give up big drives, but I'm also going to bring seven yep. a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bring them from depth. I'm going to bring them from crazy places. And eventually I'm going to get the guy to the ground. And when I do, I just stop to drive. And so I'm selling out for that play. Yep. I'm selling out for that explosive defensive play. That's going to get me the one stop I need. And once my offense gets a couple of extra possessions on the defense, we're going to be leading the game because that's kind of how it works in Kansas City. I think I saw this stat like a year or so ago. Somebody actually tracked that. Like, what do sacks actually do to a drive? And you're right. It was like 83% of the time they end a drive. They are absolute drive killers. Good night. Spags knows it. And look, dealing right. with that with that defense and talking about, you know, how they can be cheap but also so good, you know, it's it's drafting a guy like, Juan Thornhill, who you wrote about for the draftnetwork.com, and you mentioned he had a fantastic game against the Bills. I mean, I, I talked for about five minutes on that uh, wheel route from Cole Beasley that Juan Thornhill had no business uh, getting to and yeah. breaking up. Just an unbelievable play. You also mentioned that uh, he had an important showing against the Bucks in Week 12. What what do you see his his role here in this game? Right. When you have no Juan Thornhill, which Thornhill's been available all season, but he hasn't been healthy all yeah. season. Dude tore his ACL in December 30th, 2019. And then he was out there playing September 1st, 2020. That's rough. Tyron Matthew was the first to say, because remember, Tyron's torn two ACLs. You don't really get back yeah. when when you're back from an ACL. And he said specifically for defensive backs who have to be so quick to trigger, who have to be so trustworthy of their own ability to get there, especially guys who play like Matthew does and, and Thornhill does play like Matthew does. You have to have that explosive step. You have to have that immediate range. And when you don't trust your knee, <laughs> you just don't have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, And so you you saw Thornhill play shy into contact. You saw him play slow downhill. Because I think he was worried a lot about getting beat deep. He didn't trust his long speed. He didn't think that he had those wheels. So they were shaky, even with Thornhill during the year. And so they started to pull him, right? All for his rookie season, he and, Th- and Matthew, 100% of the snaps every game. And then all of a sudden, it was Matthew and Daniel Sorensen getting 100% of the snaps. Right. And I got love for Daniel Sorensen, but he's a white safety wearing 49. Like, that man knows his role. He's a dime linebacker. Like, that's this way he was made to be. And 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 Sorensen, for his credit, like, he came out of BYU. He's wicked quick. Like, he's yeah. got good transitions. He's just not explosive. Right. He's not long. He's not what you have in Matthew and Thornhill in terms of the range, the area that they can cover. Mm-hmm. And so when you have only a healthy Sorensen to pair with Matthew. You can't free up Matthew to do all the things he does so well because you can't leave Sorensen as a deep middle player. Right. They do it, but they lose the impact. Yeah. They lose the, the the range. They lose the, the area that, that he can cover. You can't play as many match coverages because Sorensen isn't as quick reading and he isn't as good at the catch point as Juan Thornhill was. You can't play those split field match ideas, which let uh, Tyron Matthew rob routes, which lets him take away vertical ideas. Like You lose some of the arrows in your quiver. So they sit Thornhill after trying to play him and trying to get him up to speed. They do it after the bye week. And they basically say, like, we you know, we had a good conversation with him. He knows he's not playing like he was his rookie year. We're trying to take time off, give him some rest, hopefully get him right for the playoffs. And then he played all the snaps in week 17 against the Chargers, right, because they stat their starters, looked great, played against the Browns, looked good, played against the Bills, had the best game of his career. So he feels healthy. Now, 13 months removed, he's playing so much faster. Yeah. So with Matthew and Thornhill – and Sorensen on the field, you have the ability to disguise a lot more of what you're doing, 
move guys around a lot more. Three players that you're comfortable playing in a deep half. You're going to blitz one of them. You're going to bring them down in the box. You're going to change who's coming low. Uh, the Bucks attacked Daniel Sorensen in man coverage in week 12. Uh, they play Thornhill, Matthew High. They put Sorensen in the box. And anytime Brady thought he had Gronk on Sorensen, it's a white linebacker, white safety around 49. You know what I mean? This is, we're going to throw the ball at that guy. Uh, they're able to then get Teron Matthew on tight ends because they're comfortable leaving Thornhill deep. Mm. So Thornhill's big. If they're picking on Sorensen again, then they're going to bring Matthew down in the box to cover Gronk, and they're going to leave Thornhill high because you don't want to be putting Daniel Sorensen high that long. So he gives them flexibility in what they do relative to how Tampa attacks them. And that allows them, I think the way that you set that up is great for my next question. Spags wants to be aggressive. The, the, the way you lay that out allows them to play those matchups a little bit better when they do blitz because you're going to get one-on-one coverage and you don't want Daniel Sorensen one-on-one against, you know, a, a guy coming out of the slot like Chris Godwin or a guy like Rob Gronkowski. So Juan Hill gives them that versatility. Do you think Spags really dials up in the pressure in this one or do you think he kind of plays Corey for a while? Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> it's tough, right? There, it, It's tricky because... There's identity, mm-hmm. and then there's two weeks of game planning against one of the best, if not the best, playoff quarterback of all time. And the Bucks have had better answers against the Blitz lately, right. too, after the bye. Yeah, so identity, we Blitz. This is what we do. It's awesome. They Blitz a ton against the Bucks, a Bucks in Week 12, yeah. but they were also up 17 to nothing after three drives. Right. Be a little freedom, play a little <laughs> fast and loose with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're, you're going to start sending Brady some stuff he's never seen. The Bucks. What Spagnolo wants to do is he doesn't want a blitz to sack you. He wants to blitz. He does, but he wants to blitz you to make you throw hot, and then he wants to attack that football. Uh, and and they generated a couple picks on Brady, in large part because they were able to fluster him. They were able to get some uh, some quick decisions out of him and some less than accurate footballs out of him. And then you know it's obviously situational luck, right? You have to be right players in the right space, balls to go the right way. With two weeks to prepare, I don't think that Spagnolo will blitz a ton, but I think when he blitzes, it will be very intentional. carefully chosen, yeah. it will be carefully designed, and it will be appropriate. You can't, you know, like, like uh, uh, protection schemes are tricky, you know what I mean? Like, you, you have six guys to block, potentially seven rushers, the quarterback's got to know who the last guy is. If you key in on tendency and you understand, all right, when they're in empty and they bring the tight end back into the formation and they're doing this, when they're, they've got two tight ends on the field and when it's Bray offline and Gronk on the line, they're going to leave Gronk into basketball. When you understand what formations are telling you, what personnel is telling you, it's easy to build blitzes that take advantage of them. Mm. And that's why I think two weeks of Spagnuolo is exciting. I hesitate to imagine against this Bucks offensive line that four is going to get it done. Right. Uh, you know, Frank Clark, Alex Okafor, Mike Dana. You know, obviously Chris Jones is great. Uh, Stinney did a tremendous job against Kenny Clark. He's got another big problem coming up yeah. now if he's going to uh, handle Chris Jones. But they don't really have the edges that are necessary. So I think they blitz a fair bit. I think that they blitz more than the Bucks end up blitzing Mahomes, which mm. both these teams are top 10 in blitz rate yeah. in the league. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's there's going to be fireworks, but I think that the Chiefs will feel safer and more appropriate blitzing Brady, who obviously kind of stays in the pocket and manages it from there, as opposed to the Bucks blitzing Mahomes, because when you blitz Mahomes, you subsequently die. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's flip sides and talk about that for a second. Number one, the blitzing aspect of it and uh, how immune Patrick Mahomes seems to be to uh, to all of it, at least eventually. Uh, maybe for 45 minutes you can get him, but the other 15, you're just uh, you're losing your butt. And then the fact that, that Todd Bowles, defensive coordinator for the Bucks, 
I mean, we know people that were that were asking smart people in in Bucks coverage that were asking like, hey, why why aren't they pressing more? And then they get into the playoffs and they press at two of the highest rates that they had all season with their cornerbacks. They got up yeah. close and personal. When you when you look at the Bucks secondary, I love this young secondary. By the way, like Sean Murphy Bunting was a draft darling of mine. Carlton Davis has has really developed well. I like it when they get up in the faces of these wide receivers, but then you watch like the clip of Tyreek Hill in the slot and he just destroys your soul with like a single move release and he's so quick and he's so hard to get your hands on. What do you think? Right. How do you think the Bucks approach this? Fear, yeah. trembling, <laughs> awe. Right. So, okay. When they played in week 12, which is like, this is a good foundation because obviously like things have changed for both teams. But when they start preparation, like this is what they're going to be thinking about, right? When when Todd Bowles sits down pen and paper Monday morning, he's not going to be like, all right, let's see what the Chiefs did to the uh, Bills. He's going to be like, oh, man, Tyreek Hill, 200 receiving yards against me in the first quarter. I should probably start that. You know what I mean? Like that's what's going to be like on his heart, yeah. right? Todd Bowles has never blitzed a quarterback less than he blitzed Patrick Mahomes in week 12 against the Chiefs. This is from Next Gen Stats, Keegan Abdu. Since 2016, Bulls led defenses, top six in blitz rate every season. They blitzed uh, Mahomes on just 17% of his dropbacks, the lowest rate blitzed in a, in a game over that same time span. So five years, <laughs> this was the lowest blitz rate game that Bulls ever had. And again, the Chiefs went up 17 to nothing. <laughs> Bulls wants to blitz. Yeah, He don't want to sit back. He sat back and he got shredded. He's gonna come with heat. He's gonna blitz. He's and, and they're gonna live and they're gonna die by that. I don't think it will be wise because yeah. right when you watched what they did over the past two games in the playoffs, it was we have an, a rush advantage with four. Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul playing really good football as of late. Green Bay Packers at a, a a banged up offensive line. Right, David Bakhtiari not in. Billy Turner and Rick Wagner the starting tackles. We're gonna win with that. We're gonna play two man which I lauded Spagnolo's complication helping his defense for Bulls. It was the other direction. Bulls simplified, right? Like they were like, oh, we're going to run three deep, three under fire zones all over the place. And then eventually they were like, hey, Carlton Davis, you're super long and angry, right? And he was like, yeah. And then he was like, do you want to just like cover guys line of scrimmage? And Carl Davis was like, God, yes, yeah, please, please. please. And he was dominant, right? <laughs> right. Michael Thomas got blanked. Yep. By Carlton Slip Davis, boy. right? And that's who Davis was coming out of Auburn. That's who Jamel Dean was coming out of Auburn. Yep. These were players you wanted on the line of scrimmage. And these are players that you wanted using their length, using their size to escort routes to the sideline. Sean Mur Murphy Bunting, I heard him described as a cover and clobber corner coming out. So, I mean, like, absolutely. They would mm -hmm. want to get up there. Yep. There were a lot of penalties between these two <laughs> players when they were coming out of the prospect. That's what you like to see. Um, if you do this, if you, blitz, if you uh, play two-man against the Chiefs, and sit and rush with four. Travis Kelsey is going to have 25 targets. He's going to have 22 catches. And he's going to have 300 yards. Like, I'm kidding, but I'm not. <laughs> right. This is why the Chiefs do it. They don't care. Travis Kelsey's had at least 10 targets since the Bucs game in every single game, at least double-digit targets. He only had eight against the Bucs because, again, they scored 17 points at Tyreek Hill at 2,000 yards. You're going to play two-man. You're going to press on Hill. You're going to get Davis or Dean in the trail. You're going to put a safety on top of him. That's fine. That means the middle of the field's open. Mm -hmm. That means the seam's open. If you want Levante David, uh, Devin White, Jordan Whitehead, Antoine Winfield Jr., none of these guys have the matchup ability. Like, like These are good players. They do not have Travis Kelsey matchup ability. right? So that's where, if you're playing two-man, they're going to rip you to shreds with Kelsey. 
And once that starts happening, because, all right, you can say, oh, the offensive line is bad. We're going to rush him with four. We're going to get early pressure. Mahomes can get the ball to Kelsey 12 yards down the field in under two seconds. You know what I mean? That's that's a spot throw off a three-step drop. Like, Mahomes will not care about the fact that, you know, his tackles are getting beat quickly. That doesn't bother him. Once that starts happening, you start feeling the need to bring pressure and play zone underneath. And then we saw what happened with, with Tyreek Hill relative to their speed. Yeah. So what do you do against the Chiefs? You cry. You sit in a corner and you, you're sad because there's nothing really that, that that's a neat schematic answer. If the Bucks win, if the Bucks defense succeeds, I should say, it will be because two-man was successful with a four-man rush. It will be because they were able to so soundly beat this offensive line with four-man rushes that the Chiefs had to put together nickel and dime drives in order to get down the field. And again, like it sounds doable on paper. With two weeks to prepare, I don't think that uh, Reed and Eric Bieniemy are going to have protection schemes to the point where they can't get Mahomes on scheme touches. Like they they went in reverse to Michael Harmon went for fifty yards. <laughs> Doesn't matter pass protection if you can do that. You know what I mean? If you have that sort of team speed, so jet passes, shovel passes, screens, all this stuff's going to be used to mitigate protection disadvantages. Move the ball down the field. They get explosives because Tyree Kill, Michael Harmon, Travis Kelsey, because they're so good with the ball in their hands. There's only so much you can do. So I think at the end of the day, Bowles is going to fall back on what he knows. And acknowledge that in week 12, he didn't do it. And he's going to start sending pressure. Yeah. I mean, I asked uh, Charles McDonald, how do you defend the Chiefs if you're playing them on all Madden, you know, with the sliders turned all the way up? And he didn't really have a great answer. I think maybe it's like that quarters coverage with the three safeties high. You just like you you push everybody off and you just beg them to run because it's so much better right well eventually right the bucks <laughs> came out screens. with three safeties lined up at 25 yards right and they were like please god just throw it underneath please <laughs> just make this look better we'd feel better if this was a nine play drive as opposed to a three play drive we just not feel as bad and, and, and like you know it's a joke right but it also isn't uh right the chiefs the game plan against the chiefs like you don't beat the chiefs you survive the chiefs you endure the chiefs mm-hmm. on, on on Locked on NFL Draft, you know, I remember we've talked about this all year. After the Chiefs-Ravens game in week three, you remember this game? The Ravens were really good the first two weeks of the season. Yeah. The Chiefs were a little bit shaky. Houston and the Chargers games were, like, kind of close. And the, the the Chiefs walked all over the Ravens' defense. People were like, see, this this isn't the sort of defense that beats the Chiefs, right? Man cover with blitzes. This is just not the blueprint for beating the Chiefs. There's no blue. There's what are you no, talking yeah. about? This isn't the blueprint. Right. What else are you gonna do? People. Are like, oh, the the uh, you just um, you know, you you got to be able to get pressure with three and cover with nine. That's not a scheme. That's not a scheme. Getting Double pressure. Team. <laughs> right. right like, the, the blueprint against the Chiefs. The blueprint against the Chiefs is face them when they're banged up. Right. Period. The later in the season you're playing them, the more likely it is that somebody's hurt. Because when the teams have full power, it's score thirty five. Right. Right. And that's why. When we watched Sean McDermott kick field goals on fourth and two from the two-yard line, everybody wanted to put their head through the wall because you can't beat the Chiefs scoring three. So best thing for Todd Bowles' defense is to get one interception, get a fumble, and then also just pray. Yep, exactly. There you go. That's also why you need to ban bye weeks because the Chiefs uh, getting that first-round bye, being able to be healthy, uh, man, it's it's a mess. But uh, we're really looking forward to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, possible passing of the torch there. It's going to be absolutely epic. But, Ben, before we get you out of here, I appreciate all the all the scheme stuff and, and philosophy there. All great stuff. We got to talk about the stuff that we've been talking about for several years now together. Uh, quickly, w- while I have you, Nick Sirianni. Sirianni, the new head Sirianni. coach. 
of the Philadelphia Eagles. I know you've been breaking them down. We have Naheem Hines again uh, later on in the show, and he talks a little bit about them. So when you look at what uh, Sirianni did with the Colts, what, what kind of philosophy do you think he brings to the Eagles? What do you think might be different? Mm-hmm. Well, first, let me say uh, Naeem, free agent next year. We have no pass catching backs. Uh, Miles Sanders, w- worst, worst running back uh, QBR when targeted. Also, what, led in uh, drop rate as well? Yeah, so you should swing it on over to Philly. Come <laughs> hang out with Nick. Uh, you get eight touchdowns again because yep. uh, – they would love to throw the ball to you five yards out. Naeem, go Eagles. Anyway, that's my sell. <laughs> I mean, you remember our draft talk around him. You know I loved Naeem. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you've it. started watching draft players yet, but if you want to find the next Naeem Hines, he wears number eight for UNC. Anyway, <laughs> uh, right, the joke is the joke. But in all seriousness, running back targets was a big part of this offense last year for Nick Sirianni. A lot of that has to do with Phillip Rivers, though, who's always loved to throw the ball to running backs quick, working to the flat on the wheel. That's interesting because when you look at Sirianni's body of work over three seasons with the Colts, you realize three starting quarterbacks and things were different for each one. You know what I mean? Like they had Andrew Luck throwing the ball downfield more than Jacoby Brissett did, despite the fact that Jacoby Brissett's got the much bigger arm. They ran more two three-man concepts for Brissett because they didn't really like his processing. And so they they ran more four-man, five-man concepts with Phillip Rivers, who they trusted in those ways. when When you circle common threads, there's two big things that you notice. One, the man loves himself a shallow cross, would do anything for it. Nick Sirianni wants to run mesh. He wants to run drive. He wants to run wide cross. He wants to run shallow crosses underneath. And he's talked publicly about a philosophy on his offense with Frank Reich in Indianapolis. So we have to or see to what degree this translates over. He wants to get to get the ball to athletes within five yards of the line of scrimmage. That's particularly how he defines it. That's the route that he does with that. That shallow cross route is important to everything that the Chiefs do. It's how they set up their triangle reads. It's how they flood their coverages. Carson Wentz targeted the shallow cross eight times last year. Yeah. Which is really low. With how much with how much mesh they run? Yeah, that's low. Which but and the thing is, <laughs> once I realized how much mesh Sirianni was running, I went and looked back and they took mesh out of the playbook for Wentz. Oh, that's they true. ran it early. Yeah. And then he threw the bang. Remember the Bengals pick? He threw on mesh sit wheel to Deshaun Jackson where Logan Wilson was like, I'm oh. right here. Oh and, sh- and Wentz was like, yeah, I'm going to fit this ball in there. It's going to be great. And it was intercepted. And people were like, it's because it was tipped. It's like, no, it's because Logan Wilson was right there. Uh, You're once right. they start. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They started taking it out. They didn't want to do that. So they we talk about triangle reads, right? You're going to put three players in a general area of the field. Two of them creating a horizontal stretch, right? They're stretching a zone defender horizontally. And then a third creating a vertical stretch off of those two. That's your little triangle. That's how you beat zone coverages. It's very hard to deal with triangles in zone because Mm -hmm. you're usually going to have only two players to deal with those looks. The Eagles under Doug Peterson created triangle reads on half of the field. They ran snag. They ran spot. They ran stick. And Nick Sirianni has those because it's West Coast and it's classic. But they ran to get their triangle reads a lot more mesh a lot more drive, a lot more stuff that included crossers over the middle of the field. The Eagles like to put this over here and that over there, and then the quarterback has to get to the line of scrimmage and decide which side he wants to go to. The Colts were much more willing to let the players cross the formation, let their receivers interact with one another, create triangle reads in the middle of the field. That's one. That stayed with all three offenses, Luck to Brissett to Rivers. Two is all three of those quarterbacks had career-low sack rates. Mm -hmm. Rivers was like 3.6, and his actual career low was like 3.4, but it's a 
year career, and he was usually at like five. Yeah. So Luck took fewer sacks than he ever did before. Brissett, who's only had two years as a full starter, basically halved this sack rate from 2017 to 2019 when he started under Sirianni, and then Rivers was super low as well. This offense gets the ball out quickly and understands where checkdowns are. Carson Wentz led the NFL in sack rate last year. He took a sack on over 10% of his dropbacks. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, immovable object and unstoppable force now. If I, if, if you're asking me, like, why did Jeffrey Lurie think that this man can fix Wentz, the sack rate is what I'd circle. Yeah. Every quarterback who's played under Sirianni gets sacked less. They're able to find their checkdowns. They're able to take quick throws and let their offense work for them. They're a cog in the system. Mm-hmm. Wentz has to become willing to be that player in order for this to be successful. And remember when Wentz got benched and Jalen Hurts went in, one of the things we said was like, he's playing better because he's just not being awful. Like yeah. he's playing better because he's not just taking away the offense. He's not just being like, I'm throwing it deep or like, I want this or I want that. He's just taking what is given to him. He's just executing. He's a cog in the system. So Wentz has to have the humility necessary to take a simple three yard shallow route and say, Jalen Rager, go get me a first down. It's something he did not have the trust in the offense and trust in the receivers to do last year. It's something he's going to have to do in this offense. So this offense is going to get rid of the ball quick. It's going to throw shallow crosses. It's going to take the quarterback out of the pocket. It's going to get rid of the ball quickly. It's going to avoid sacks. It's going to be nickel and dimey. It's going to be simple. It's not going to take a ton of deep shots. The quarterback has to be comfortable with that. I think it could very easily be successful. I like the way it's built. I think it's a good modern offense, but you need to have a passer that's willing to fulfill the obligations within it. And that's going to be the difficulty for the Eagles. It's going to be getting Wentz on board because as we know, Wentz is not really on board with general Philadelphia things right now. (laughs) And he may not be on board to start the season with anyway, as Adam Schefter uh, said, a quote, if I had to guess, I would guess he is traded and quote, obviously just going with his with his gut there, not reporting like anything super serious. But of course, his future in Philadelphia still in doubt as his media silence continues, which is which is fine. Everything is fine. Ben, thank you for joining us here on the SB Nation NFL show. We thank you for stopping by. Let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can find all of your excellent work, man. Plug away. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Uh, I enjoy the Palpably Unfair podcast, so it's cool to be a guest. Uh, I am on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, which is S-O-L-A-K. Uh, my Eagle stuff is at Bleeding Green Nation, at yep. BGN Radio. Uh, Mike's old haunts at, with the SB Nation family. And my draft coverage can be found at the Draft Network and on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Thank you again to Naeem Hines and Benjamin Solak for swinging by and cracking eggs of knowledge for us. Stay tuned for the Super Bowl Roundtable today, which is part of our robust three times daily coverage of the big game. In the meantime, go dominate and have yourselves a day. 